Since the dawn of time, fairy tales have been part of human history, culture, and religion. Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, Cinderella, Bigfoot. Some fairy tales are harmless. Others are sinister. But in reality, there are four things all fairy tales have in common. Number one, they are used to influence, shape opinions, and manipulate thoughts. And number two, they're good for business. Yeah. Third, they tap into emotions such as fear, anger, and hope. Finally, fairy tales are not real. Welcome to Bigfoot Logic, a podcast where we highlight a new breed of fairy tales. Fairy tales you can find not in a Disney movie, but on CNN, Fox News, and other for-profit news publications. Fairy tales created by politicians, companies, and shared across social media platforms. Fairy tales that were created by big business for big business, for people in power that want to stay there. Join us, fellow logisticians, as we seek to expose fairy tales, myths, legends, and lies in the news of today. We'll talk about the facts and influences, people and power brokers, and connect some dots so you can see where, who's connected to who and what, and how the news of the day benefits and serves corporate greed, political will, and personal agendas. The facts you need to make informed, logical decisions so that you can make these decisions on your own. Not from us, on your own. Bigfoot logic is everywhere. Let us be your guides. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Bigfoot Logic. This one we're calling, I don't know what's in my anything. Abel, what are we talking about today? What, who's the, what's the Bigfoot we found for this one? Well, the Bigfoot in this episode actually first appeared on Twitter, which is kind of funny for one of the reasons we'll talk about later on in the podcast. So when vaccine hesitant people started stating their concerns, they didn't know what was in the COVID vaccine, Twitter went crazy, right? Twitterites started posting all kinds of memes, some which moved through Facebook and Instagram and other platforms, listing all the things you eat, drink, do that you don't know the ingredients for. From the McRibs. Where I, where I get all my information. Well, you know, clearly all educated people use memes as just like they would the dictionary or a thesaurus or I guess not a thesaurus, but a encyclopedia. Right. It's a highly credible source of information. I mean, it takes, you know, a lot of skill to take a picture and put some words on it. Well, and it's also great because, you know, I've heard in college, you can actually cite memes as a credible source for your term papers. Oh, interesting. I, I made that up. That's not true. <laughs> I hope that's not true. I mean, maybe I hope it's not, but yeah. I also wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It depends. Uh, I guess it depends on the class. Yeah. Well, but, but it's everything from the McRib sandwich, which McDonald's had to love, to supermarket sugar cookies. You know, the ones that you can get with all the big frosting on type, top and the sprinkles. I love those things. Oh, no. The hot dogs. I mean, some of these were funny, right? Some were earnest. But I think my favorite is the monologue that people posted that I think I first saw on Facebook. And it's a cut and paste. But it was this ode to people to get vaccinated or get boosted because because it was heartfelt because they were able to cut and paste this and put it on their page, right? Like that meant they were making a statement on a corner on a, you know, they were taking a stand because they were taking, they're taking a social stand, which is really sad that that's what we all do these days as opposed to any type of meaningful stand. But here's what it said. I'm fully vaccinated and boosted. No, I don't know what's in it, nor do I know what was in the ones I had as a child. I also don't know what's in the 11 secret herbs and spices at KFC. And there's a laughing emoticon. 
with it. I don't know what's in Tylenol or other medications I take. Maybe I should, but I don't. I don't know every ingredient in my soap, shampoo, or deodorants. I don't know the long-term effect of mobile phone use or whether or not the restaurant I ordered from really used clean food or washed their hands. There's a lot of things I don't know. Uh, I do know one thing. Life is short, very short. And I personally still want to do things. I want to travel and hug people without fear. Throughout my life, I've been vaccinated against many diseases. Measles, mumps, rubella, polio, chickenpox, hepatitis, pneumonia, influenza, rotavirus, tetanus, perstesis. My parents trusted the science, never had to suffer through or transmit any of those said diseases. Okay. So again, they're basically making a statement that's because you got these and you have a question about COVID vaccine or booster, you're an anti-vaxxer, which is not the truth. Um, I'm I'm COVID vaccinated, not to please the government, not to make other people do it. I do it because I don't want to die from COVID. Clutter a hospital bed if I get sick. Not be able to hug my loved ones. Possibly infect my loved ones and they get sick. I want to live in good health and share things with those I love, like you. So I'm posting this thing that I cut and paste and didn't personalize at all to my Facebook page or my Instagram, because that shows how much I love you as a person who I've not identified in this post or made relevant to me at all because I copied and pasted from someone else. The part about hugging loved ones really tugs at my heartstrings. Well, I think so, too. To me, it's the mention of the rotavirus. But it's that's a classic example of Bigfoot logic, right? It's playing on motions and bypassing your logic. Um, and what's funny to me about this is if you don't know what's in your Tylenol or the food you're eating, that's your own fault. There, yeah. Those things are all labeled. It says right on the box what's in it exactly. And that's regulated by the FDA. Well, and if you look at if you go to McDonald's or any of those other places, they will have nutritional guides posted in the stores. In the restaurants. Now, it might not go to 11 secret herbs and spices of the KFC recipe, but it does give you details of what's in those products or those foods. And, you know, but you know, what, you know what the big difference is between all these things listed above and the COVID vaccine? You know what that is? They don't mess with your DNA. They're not delivering <laughs> via your DNA. Well, there's, there's that. Um, other thing is, is that if any of these things cause you pain and suffering, if any of these things cause you to get ill or die, you can take those companies to court. But you can't do that with the COVID vaccine. And that's Bigfoot logic. Well, yeah, it's Bigfoot logic for everybody, except for the companies that made those rules. Well, it's just the Bigfoot. The reason they made those rules, this ain't their first rodeo. Correct. Well, but so the the Bigfoot logic is, I don't know what's in those things, so I'm going to trust this thing because it's similar, but it's not similar. And it's not similar because you don't have the same protections because the, because of the public readiness and emergency preparedness act invoked by health and human human services, secretary Azar vaccine companies cannot be taken to court because of damages or casualties with the vaccine or the vaccine process. This protection lasts through 2024. How much, how, how many lawsuits do you think we're going to see in 2024? Well, I don't know if we'll see any, but there's, but, and this is a story that came out December 18th, 2020, which we'll, of course, of course, put a link to, but the Bigfoot logic is people are going again, like you said, to that emotional center of, these are all the things I do want to do. I want to hug my loved ones and not get them sick. And you're bypassing the logical desire to understand what's in you. People 
today are obsessed with whether something has gluten or, you know, 20 years ago is MSG, right? It's, um, it's, uh, sugar substitutes and all these things that people are concerned about, but in their bodies and they're very public about those things. And yet when it comes to the COVID vaccine, they don't care and they don't care. Oh, they don't, they want to pretend like they're making a decision, um, based on science, but it's not right. Because the science, I mean, the who today, you shared a story with me today before we recorded the who world health organization put out today, they have zero evidence that boosters are needed for kids or teens, adolescents. And healthy adults, they said. Oh, and healthy adults. The headline was, yeah, so the World Health Organization said, uh, I think on the 18th, so today is the 21st of January, so December 18th or 19th, again, we'll include a link to it, that there's zero evidence that these are required. And yet, what is Pfizer and Moderna and the U.S. government, who again is lobbied very heavily by said Pfizer, um, to to do is we're giving you more boosters because Pfizer said we need to sell 1.7 million doses this year. And I think that number is correct. Right. But so again, so the, the whole reason this is a bit of logic is because people are saying, I trust this because the government or the science has told me this is, this is good for me. So what this episode is really on, that's just the kicker. That's just the a teaser to get you in, into this episode. <laughs> the, we want you to know who Pfizer is. Yeah, and um, when I mentioned this, this ain't their first first rodeo. This ain't their first rodeo at all. They've been through the ringer when it comes to uh, being sued and fined um, since two thousand. They've paid over ten billion dollars in settlements for over seventy five different violations. Um, that includes five point six billion dollars for drug or medical equipment safety violations. So whatever they were selling actually harmed people. $3.4 billion for off-label or unapproved marketing. So basically, you know, not being truthful about what the drug does or what it's used for. And over $1 billion in government-contracted relating offenses. So that's essentially ripping off the U.S. government, the same government that's mandating us to take these vac- vaccines and boosters. And that is def- effectively sub- subsidizing them, paying for them. Well, but... They're paying, but Pfizer's making what? How many? Twenty-six billion dollars. We'll, we'll, we'll fact check that number because we talked about it a couple episodes ago. So Pfizer's making billions and billions of dollars from the U.S. government. The government has fined them over one billion dollars for lying to them. So the the people that are saying I trust the science need to understand who is creating the science they're trying to trust. And the company that is at the forefront of this is a company called Pfizer. It's paid over $10 billion in settlements for 75 different violations because of their drugs and medical equipment and for off-label and unapproved marketing, right? So let's walk through, let's walk through some of them, this company that you trust the science in. And I'm going to do the first one, okay? Pfizer has agreed to pay $49 million to settle charges that a subsidiary defrauded the Medicaid program by overcharging for the cholesterol drug Lipitor. The Justice Department said today, this was in 2002. So this goes back a while, right? It's not. Yeah, and what's interesting is Lipitor is still on the market and Pfizer is still being brought to court over Lipitor. Um, 
more recently, many of these cases have been dismissed, but this $49, $49 million settlement wasn't the only time they've been taken to court over this particular drug, Lipitor. Nor is it, as we'll go through, the, the only time they've been taken to court and fined over one of their many um, you know, medications or, uh, as you'll hear, some of their trials that were unethical and actually violate inter- international law, not to mention kill people. Yes. And then you have to think about what did they do with this trial? So what, what's the $430 million from the New York Times from May 2024? What was that one about? So Pfizer, the world's biggest drug, comp- drug, <laughs> drug company, has agreed to settle criminal and civil charges and pay fines of more than $43 million, the Justice Department and federal prosecutors in Massachusetts said today. Um, and that was over the drug Neurontin. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but you'll also hear that one will come up again because similar to Lipitor, it's still in the market and Pfizer's still being brought to court over it. Well, but there is good news. Pfizer said their corporate integrity deal, which they made with the government, um, won't affect PR. As part of the plea agreement in a case that involved the illegal marketing of seizure drug Neurocontin, Pfizer agreed to pay the $430 million in fines and signed a corporate integrity agreement allowing greater government monitoring of the company's marketing employee practices. And you know what? The, P- the PR people aren't covered. So if they, if they can be thrown under the bus. Yeah. And that was according to Marianne Caprino, who was uh, interviewed by PR Week, which is a magazine for PR professionals. And she said corporate spokespeople are not covered under the agreement. Um, more specifically, she said that it would exempt PR employees involved with press releases and media interviews unless they conduct sales and marketing with healthcare providers. So it's so exempting people who are you can conduct interviews. You could do you could interview the press about a drug or a trial, and the PR person that's writing the materials and pitching the press isn't liable if the information they have is accurate or inaccurate because they're just trying to sell a story. So you can, a PR professional could theoretically, and I'm sure this has happened, give an interview to a magazine or a publication that's read by medical professionals, but the way the wording is written is as long as they're not marketing with healthcare providers to healthcare providers, like what PR professional talks to doctors or healthcare professionals, they talk to the press, that's their job. Um, But they're not held to the same standards of corporate integrity. Well, but here's the one that's the kicker to me. Again, this is for the people that, who use Bigfoot logic that I trust the science and don't look deeper to understand who's providing the science. So that this is, so in 2004, Pfizer signs the corporate integrity, what was it, corporate integrity deal, right? And Yeah, they've signed many of those over the years. Okay. I lost count. I, I oh. think it's at least seven that I found. Corporate integrity agreement. Okay. But multiples of those. So, you know, that's, that's uh, something. This is my favorite. And by favorite, I mean favorite in terms of showing just what kind, the quality of humans that work at Pfizer, right? They might have brilliant scientists. The science might be sound on the COVID vaccine. But in 2006, a panel of Nigerian medical experts had concluded that Pfizer violated international law during a 1996 epidemic by testing an unapproved drug on children with brain infections at a field hospital. Right, so the, the international law is the Declaration of Helsinki, whose origin goes back to the Nuremberg Code, 
which was created in reaction to the Nazis conducting trials on concentration camp prisoners. So what happened in that trial? Well, 11 children died and dozens were left disabled after Pfizer gave them an experimental anti-meningitis drug, Troven. Um, This was an unapproved drug trial that involved 200 children with meningitis in Nigeria. Um, As a result of that, Pfizer paid paid $700,000 to four families who lost children during the Troven trials. And they set up a $35 million fund for those affected by Troven. So So this is according to the BBC. And then the stats about what it paid out is according to a website called drugwatch.com. And if you go to drugwatch.com, and we'll send you the link, it has a list of every single infraction and settlement that Pfizer has had over its history, at least I think it's history. So Pfizer's an old company, so it probably doesn't go back as far as that, but it goes back pretty far. Right. And and the declaration of Hill... Helsinki, to be clear, what it's one of the things that it specifies is you're not allowed to conduct uh, medical trials on people without their consent or knowledge. And so by extension, that includes minors because um, they can't legally give consent under the law. So this is something that, you know, the world holds to a high standard and they actually killed 11 children. So Pfizer did not get consent to use this drug on this children. Now, we don't know if they got consent from the parents, but assuming a, pr- a parent could sign consent, or maybe they didn't say that the, the, it was a trial drug, but they used a drug in a trial that killed 11 children and were held accountable by the world court. And it gets better, though. Again, for the company you're, everyone on social media is trusting the science for, In 2009, the Department of Justice, that's the U.S. Department of Justice, announces the largest healthcare fraud settlement in its history. And guess who that was about? I'm going to guess it was a company named Pfizer. You are correct. Yeah. Um, So, but, you know, that's all in the past, right? I mean, in in 2021 on the Lex Fridman podcast, uh, Pfizer CEO said, you know, it was all very bad when that happened. I don't think these things have happened since. We've had a stellar record from 2009 until now of complying with every single regulation and rule. Well, hold on a second. We, we need to go back to the world's largest fraud settlement case in history because the number is staggering. What And what they did, right? So they misbranded a drug called Bextra with the intent to defraud or mislead. That's important. They mislabeled a drug with the intent to defraud or mislead. Bextra is an anti-inflammatory drug that Pfizer pulled from the market in 2005. Under the provisions of the FDA, uh, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, a company must specify intended use for a product in its new drug application to FDA. Once approved, the drug may not be marketed or promoted for so-called off-label uses. Um, it's important to also know that the a lot of the people that were talking about options for treating COVID were looking at off-label uses of drugs that existed because they wanted to get something to market quicker, right? That's a that's an important fact to remember because creating a vaccine from scratch takes a very long time. So once the drug, let's see. Um, Pfizer promoted the sale of Bextra for several uses and dosages that the FDA specifically declined to approve, right? 
specifically declined to approve due to safety concerns. The company will pay a criminal fine of $1.195 billion, the largest criminal fine ever imposed by the U.S. for any matter. They also forfeited $105 million for a total criminal resolution of $1.3 billion. In addition, they agreed to pay $1 billion to reserve to resolve allegations under the false the Civil False Claims Act that the company legally promoted four drugs, Bextra, uh, Giodin, an antipsychotic drug, Zyvox, an antibiotic, antibiotic, and Lyseria, I think, an anti-epileptic drug and caused false claims to be submitted to government health care programs for uses that were not medically accepted indications and therefore not covered by those programs. The civil settlement also resolves allegation that Pfizer paid kickbacks to healthcare providers to induce them to prescribe these as well as other drugs, right? Pfizer paid kickbacks to healthcare providers. Well, there's a lot there to uh, unpack. They, they provided kickbacks. They provided false claims to the government. They, um, you know, had drugs that had a negative impact on people that were unsafe. I mean, they, they did everything they, they had could possibly do wrong. They used they recommended drugs for use other than what was approved. Mm-hmm. Right. So the federal share of the civil settlement was uh, six hundred and sixty-eight million five hundred forty-eight thousand eight hundred thirty dollars, and the state Medicaid share was three hundred thirty-one million four hundred eighty-five dollars one hundred seventy dollars. It's the largest civil fraud settlement in history against a pharmaceutical company. So combined, over two point three billion dollars because they lied about a drug, they paid bribes. And they recommended drugs for improper use. Right. And this isn't like ancient history. This is 2009. Yeah. And this is all from the Department of Justice website. And we'll we'll provide the link. Right. But it's all in the past. I mean, they've been good since 2009. They learned their lesson, right? I mean, you heard the the CEO on the Lex Fredman podcast. Yeah, but on... In 2014, they agreed to pay $325 million to resolve claims that it defrauded insurers and other health care benefit providers by marketing uh, Neurontin for unapproved uses. It's second settlement of the epilepsy drug in six weeks. Second settlement in six weeks. But remember, we mentioned that before. They had already been sued o- over Neurontin back in, um, what was it, 2004. Um, so... What do they say? Like when you're raising a child or I, I have a puppy, you're raising a puppy and you're inconsistent or you let them get away with things and, you know, you don't enforce anything. They're still selling these things and still making money. Well, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. I, I mean, I got that wrong. There's something like that. I always heard. It sounded a little like uh, George W. there. Uh, like, fool me once. Uh, you don't fool me twice. <laughs> that sounded nothing like George W. But the the what I always said was once was funny, twice is cute, third time you get spanking, and yeah. they continue to get spankings here, right? So three hundred twenty five million. There's an April twenty first. They agreed to pay one hundred ninety million to separate settle litigation in a federal court in New Jersey about the same drug. Um, the, oh, because they were trying to keep they were trying to keep cheaper drugs off the market. 
a generic version of the market. And that's addition to the 430 million that we talked about early, earlier. So that's nearly a billion dollars in fines for this other drug. And remember, we're trusting the science and to trust the science, you have to trust the people behind the science. And this is Pfizer. Right. Well, and the one difference between all these these things and, and the vaccines and boosters that we're getting now is at least there was some repercussions. At least they could be brought to court over it. Um, oh, oh, wait, wait. They're getting a free pass. Wait, what? what? Pfizer can't be sued? No, not till 2024, at least. That's right. The Health and Human Services Secretary under the Trump administration gave him a pass till, t- till 2024. They, they got to sell a lot of those vaccines and boosters between now and 2024. So well, they have enough in the coffers to, uh, you know, set, take care of any legal bills and settlements that might arise. So all the cases that have shown up in fringe media are shown up and in, bleeded into the mainstream media about people who have had adverse reactions to vaccines, right? From the first shot to the second shot and, you know, independent of which vaccine you got, those are all people don't have recourse because of of the the that the um the blanket no sue act right right yeah what are you gonna do yeah you like how i said that i was so eloquent when i said that right so you can't so if you've if you've gotten the vaccine and had adverse effects you can't you have no recourse financially with pfizer or moderna or any of the manufacturers because of the the emergency preparedness and readiness act Right. They, they could probably prescribe you some sort of anti-anxiety drug or something like that. Maybe something from Pfizer. Yeah. Of course, the, so the good thing about Pfizer is they have lots of other drugs. I mean, they make lots of drugs that we use every day. The, um, have they had problems with other drugs? Yeah. So uh, Prempro. So uh, that's actually a breast cancer lawsuit. But in 2012, nearly 10,000 women filed breast cancer lawsuits, uh, which Pfizer settled for the claims for more than $1 billion. Uh, Did I say 2002? I meant 2012. Um, Pfizer settled most of these claims for more than $1 billion. But that was after they were going to be corporate better citizens? Yeah. 10,000 women. 10,000 women. CEOs CEOs aren't perfect. He must have just forgot about that one. $1 billion. 10,000 women with breast cancer sued Pfizer. Just so we're clear, we're not talking about French people. We're not talking about anti-vaxxers. We're not talking about people who um, got, you know, stood up for this or believed in that or voted for anyone. We're talking about 10,000 women with breast cancer sued Pfizer because of the drug they were taking they provided. And of course, then there's Chantix. About three about 3,000 people filed Chantix lawsuits against Pfizer. They claim Chantix caused suicidal thoughts and severe psychological disorders. In 2013, the company set aside about $288 million to resolve these cases. Um, one case settled for undisclosed amount before, just before trial in 2012. Again, the source for all this is Drug Watch. We'll provide the link. Right. And then what about Protonics? Oh, Protonics. Good old Protonics. People are suing Pfizer over Protonics. Protonics lawsuits say Pfizer failed to warn about the kidney problems, or the risk of kidney problems. In 2013, Pfizer agreed to pay $55 million to settle criminal charges. The U.S. Department of Justice said Wyeth promoted Protonics for unemployed, unapproved uses from 2000 and 2001. It's a company that Pfizer acquired in 2009. So 
to be fair, this is before it was Pfizer. It was a different company, but still they had to pay the lawsuits over this. So let's go to today. What's, what, what's happening to us today? Well, it's a little hard to find this information, to be honest. I, I almost didn't believe it. I heard it on the Joe Rogan podcast, of all things, which I'm not a big Joe Rogan fan. I this I had actually listened to him for the first time a couple of weeks ago when he had Dr. Robert Malone on. Um, but one of the things that was mentioned was whistleblowers coming forward with, with Pfizer. And so I had to do some digging, and it doesn't show up very much in, in the traditional news media. But the BMJ, which stands for the British Medical Journal, which is a peer-reviewed medical journal. So peer-reviewed, it has to be reviewed by a bunch of doctors, basically, before they can publish anything. Um, They report that uh, COVID-19 researcher blows the whistle on data integrity issues in the vaccine trial. Um, So this was specifically from a company that managed some of the vaccine trial sites, and the whistleblower was coming forward claiming that they falsified data, which might sound familiar if you're thinking about what Jada just talked about in terms of protonics, you know, fit, or any of the things that we talked about, making false claims, not reporting risks. Um, Trusting the science, which means you have to trust the scientists who work for a company that's been sued time and time and time again and worked out with the government. Times, 75 times. Worked out with the government that they can't be sued about this vaccine. Right. But, you know, that, nothing to worry about because some of the news publications have, have fact-checked this. And, and, and there's nothing to worry about according to these fact-checks. So according to CBS 17 in, in North Carolina, uh, report questioning Pfizer trial shouldn't undermine confidence in vaccines. Why is that? Well, I'll quote. So a report in a medical journal is, which is the BMJ article that we referenced earlier, is raising questions about the results from one research company that helped with Pfizer's trials for its COVID-19 vaccine. But should it make you any less confident in the vaccines itself? Short answer, no. Um, so <laughs> uh, one of the quotes is from this guy, Fisher. We're really interested in the story because it's about COVID-19 and it's about vaccines, but it's really a much more important story about just how clinical research is done and what kind of organizations and companies are part of it. And really, I, and I'm still quoting Fisher, and really, I think it also points to the fact that the FDA is incredibly under-resourced and they can just cannot do the kinds of inspections and investigations that might be required. So the government agency that's supposed to have oversight in this doesn't have the staffing or the resources to look into it, but... Let's just trust the company that's been sued to the tune of $10 billion 75 times in the past 20 years. But it's not just it's not just the, the fact checker who says, give them a pass because the FDA is under-resourced. What, what I found was interesting as we were looking at this too is according to Amnesty International, it, it's also misleading the public on its commitment to vaccine distribution equality, Right. The company states by 2021, it will have distributed 1 billion doses to middle and lower income countries, right? Pfizer said it has shipped a total of 2 billion doses by the end of September. In a letter to Amnesty International, the company admitted that only 145 million doses, less than 8% of the total, 8% of the total had reached 42 lower and low middle income countries. Pfizer said it has distributed less than 10% of these. 
i.e. about 15.4 million, to low-income countries. So publicly, and lauded by the mainstream press, Pfizer's good corporate citizen giving sending half their vaccines to low- and middle-income countries, the reality, when Amnesty, Amnesty International fact-check it, is they had sent less than 8%. Right. And 10% of that to low-income countries. Think about this if it were any other product that you buy. Like, think about if an auto manufacturer you had willingly falsified crash test data. And not only that, they had a uh, agreement in place with the government that you could not sue them if you died in a crash driving their vehicle. Well, but but you feel entirely safe driving that vehicle. There was a there was a I can't remember which one. There was a car dealership that re- in the last several years falsified falsified test data and for their electronic the electric vehicles. And that was the CEO had to resign. There was like a total retooling of the company. It was a major brand. I don't remember. I don't want to say a brand that I think it was because I, I don't want to be wrong to be and put a big foot out there, but they are held accountable. Right. And, you, and you can argue that, that Pfizer has been held accountable in the past by paying these fines, but for a company that's making tens of billion dollars on this one vaccine, they got cash in the pocket going jangling along. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure there are people at the company who are doing the mask, the math. It's a risk analysis. You know, how many, how much are the lawsuits going to cost us? Uh, how much are we going to pay the lawyers? And how many pro- versus how much profit can we make off of this? Right. Um, but, but Pfizer's working with everyone, right? They're not trying to stop people from calling them out, are they? Uh, well, actually they are. According to The Intercept, and this is an article from November 2021, Pfizer's lobbying to thwart corporate whistleblowers or thwart whistleblowers from exposing corporate fraud. Um, note, and, and we'll touch on this later, note that The Intercept is an independent news organization that's uh, supported by its members, not by advertising. And um, we talked about this in, in the first episode of Bigfoot Logic, but Pharmaceuticals are far and away the spend far and away the most amount of money compared to any other industry in terms of lobbying the U.S. government to the tune of three billion dollars annually. So when they are lobbying for something such as this to stop corporate whistleblowers, this isn't like you know they're making some half-assed attempt. They're they're putting a lot of wood behind the bat uh, to um, stop people from call, having the ability to call them out. Exactly. So it's interesting too. So the on Pfizer's own website and through its political action committee, um, and this is they list everyone they gave money to, right? So the total doesn't come to three billion. This comes to um, between January 2019 and December 2020, over 2.5 million dollars in contributions. And we are going to include a link that's on Pfizer's website of, of every state and federal politician that benefited from. Pfizer's coffers. Yeah, right. and it's interesting. I, I did this. I did this one evening. It's interesting to look at the politicians who benefited from this, and sort of the mental acrobatics they have to go through to justify why it's okay to stop whistleblowers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I won't go through it here. Uh, but it was nine hundred and fifty different candidates, right? So some some got you know a little bit of money. Some got lots of money. But they spent two and a half million dollars in contributions to 950 candidates between January 2019 and December 2020. Again, this is on Pfizer's website. 
you know, you know what might might be an interesting episode at some point is like what good has come from whistleblowers in the past because there's a reason we have laws protecting whistleblowers. They've actually um, blown whistles on things that harm many individuals. It would be interesting to actually look into that and, yeah. and, and cover some of those stories. Yeah. So you, um, you, you might have noticed that we, we've listed some publications you might not have heard of, right? The Intercept, uh, the British Medical Journal, The Wire. Um, can you believe anything you read in these publications? Are they credible? Well, you have to decide that. Just like you have to decide if an article on CNN or MSNBC is credible, right? Is an article that gives you facts and lets you decide, or is an article that looks to cut through your logic center and appeal to your emotions to get you ramped up or riled up and and clicking through to read more? Right. And and the one thing that all of these publications that Jada just mentioned have in common, well, two things, actually. Um, one, they're not for profit. And two they are supported by the readers or their members. So that means they don't have advertisers, um, advertisers like maybe Pfizer or other pharmaceutical companies who might influence news coverage. Right. But Pfizer can't influence the news, right? Well, I don't know about that. Um, you know, there's this guy, Jim C. Smith. Do you know anything about this guy? I, I did. Well, I know what, we're going to talk about, but I didn't before this. No, I didn't either. And this is one of the other things um, that I heard on Rogan and I didn't know whether to believe it or not, because, um, you know, I think we've all, we've all, we all sort of have this weird impression of Rogan. Like we don't know what to think of him. He's kind of this wild guard. Is he crazy right wing guy or what? Um, but anyways, he had this Robert, Mal- the, uh, Dr. Robert Malone on, um, and, and it's an, it-, it was a super interesting episode. I would encourage anyone to read, to listen to it with an open mind. Um, but one of the things that uh, Malone pointed out in this episode is that um, James C. Smith, which I don't, probably goes by Jim, Jimmy, something like that. I don't know. He's from, he's from Kentucky, so maybe he goes by Jimbo. But he was the CEO of Thomson Reuters until 2020. Um, he's also been on the board of Pfizer since 2014. Um, any idea why that might possibly present a conflict of interest? Well, yes, there is. Because, so one, um, Thomson Reuters is one of the biggest news organizations in the world. Right? Um, and he, an interesting fact too, Thomson Reuters is also the fact check mechanism for Twitter. So when things are said on Twitter, Thompson, that, that when fake news is being spread on Twitter, Thomson Reuters staff are the ones that monitor that to say whether it's fake news or not, and actually have people can have people. I don't know if they recommend or they do the ban themselves. People banned from Twitter. I'm not talking about people that should be banned from Twitter. I'm talking about people who might say something that might be in disagreement with companies like a Pfizer. Exactly. And um, this James C. Smith, um, the last year he was president of Thompson Reuters, he's still um, on their board and he still looks after one of their divisions, something to do with learning. Um, but um, the last year he was, he, he was CEO of, he was still CEO of Thompson Reuters. Um, he was paid over $350,000 from Pfizer um, at, for being on their board. And 
that number was pretty consistent for the years that I looked at all the way back to 2017. So he's making over he's making three hundred thousand over three hundred thousand dollars a year from a company that his organization is currently responsible for, in large part, fact checking. Because well, these fact checking. We well, hold on. I think I'd be careful what we say there. So there. We are not saying there's collusion here. We're saying as you follow the money and Thomson Reuters is responsible for fact-checking Twitter and people on Twitter are saying things that are negative about Pfizer, that would put a conflict of interest in that. Now, maybe Thomson Reuters says we we absent ourselves for any conversations on Pfizer because there's a conflict of interest because our chairman is also on the board of that and makes 300 large from that company. Um, and it might be that the person who's doing the fact-checking doesn't care what Jim Smith does. But you have to look at the connections of these people in power because, remember, fairy tales are meant to keep people in power. So, Right. Yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. I only meant to say that in that vaccines are such a topic of debate. Now, Correct. Debate and discussion that it's, you know, it dominates a lot of social media discussion. So. Oh, 100 percent. Like I'm just I don't want to say that we don't we can't say and we're not trying to. We're just trying to let you know of the different players and the different relationships between the players. So you can make your own decisions so that when people say trust the science and then you say trust the science because you're reading a meme on Twitter. That was fact checked by a company that has a that the chairman has a financial interest in, it starts to get, it starts to sound problematic or at least conflicted. Right. It starts to smell a little fishy. Yeah. So, um, and, and one, I think one example, uh, you know, if you, if the, anyone listening wants a little bit of a homework assignment or a DIY type of thing, one thing that might be interesting, you know, I mentioned this Dr. Robert Malone guy a couple different times. Um, and I had never heard of him. Like I mentioned, I'd never listened to Rogan before he was on. But I would encourage you to do a little experiment. And it's up to you what order you would like to do it in. But first, I would say do a Google search for his name, Dr. Robert Malone. And just you know, read the articles, the, the, the press coverage that he's been receiving, uh, or even just the headlines. And then whether, again... Depends on you how you want which order you want to do this in. Then listen to the Rogan episode. It's two hours long. It's a long episode. You probably only need to listen to 20, 30 minutes to get the get the idea for it. And see if the impression matches. See if the impression you get from reading the news coverage on this guy matches your impression when you hear him speak and answer questions directly. Well, the first, I don't, I don't think it does either. I think the, in the first article, he references it in the story, which I went and read the story in the Atlantic was written by this guy. I I'd never heard this report before. I know several journalists, the Atlantic. I love the Atlantic magazine and it is poorly written. It is clearly has an agenda, which one of the reasons I like the Atlantic is it doesn't typically have an agenda, at least one that doesn't disalign with how I sort of view the world. Um, which is a bias on my own part, which I freely admit to the, but it was such a, such a complete from a, from a perspective of someone who works with journalists, such a complete corporate hack job, like not well-written, not well, um, uh, balanced in terms of facts. It was, 
you know, not so good supporting quotes to, to support the, the hypothesis or the thesis. It was just a terrible article, but it's been used by a lot of people to describe this guy. And, you know, I, I listened to the whole podcast. It is long. Um, I had a long drive, so that's when I did it. Um, I thought he was interesting. I thought he was credible. I don't know as, I mean, he certainly has a great background. He certainly has been involved in a lot of stuff. And he didn't seem to have an agenda. Like he didn't seem to be pushing things. He's not selling anything. He's not making money off anything. Um, and I get, you know, he could be on the fringe at this point. I don't even know. But he just didn't seem like the kind of person. And it's a, I think it's a three-hour podcast. And it's over three hours. You hear him talk and he's reasonable. And he's, um, so again, listen to it. Listen, read the, uh, as, as Abel said, read the articles, then listen to the podcast. And there's other podcasts he's on and, and see what you think. And, and then, you know what? Read articles about him that are pre-COVID. Right. And I also check his patents because that's yeah. one of the things that, that, that the news articles will say is that he's not who he says he is. He didn't invent this. He doesn't invent that. He has 10 patents related to mRNA. Um no, he didn't invent this particular mRNA vaccine, and he freely admits that, but he has a number of patents related to mRNA uh, delivery of vaccines. He helped invent the tech that enabled this to happen. Right, and that's the way he describes it, yeah. Rogan, at least. Yeah. All right, well, I think I think we've covered this, uh, this uh, Bigfoot topic pretty well. Again, the, the big thing for us is you got, if you're going to be thorough and you're going to actually be able think with your logic center, you have to look beyond the meme and understand who the people are you're defending. Trust the science means you have to trust the scientist. And to trust the scientist, you have to trust the, the company that the scientists work for. And Pfizer's, and we've just walked through the reasons that trust in Pfizer might or might not be a good idea. That's up for you to decide. We're here to provide information so you can decide how you want to live your life, not, be, not tell you how to live your life. Right. And, and the same goes for individuals. Like before you form an impression of an individ, individual, whether it's Robert Malone, whether it's Joe Rogan, whether it's one of us, one of us, Donald Trump, listen to them speak. You know, don't form your opinion based on what other other people, news organizations are saying about that individual or politicians are saying. Exactly. Right. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this issue. We appreciate you spending some time with us today, and uh, we look forward to investigating the next Bigfoot and the logic that applies to it in our next episode. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Bigfoot Logic. Please subscribe and like the podcast on your platform of choice, of course, and leave a review if you feel so inclined. Let us know if you spot a Bigfoot out there that defies logic that you think we should investigate in a future episode. We'd love to take it on. More information about the topic we discussed today, as well as links to past episodes, and some really fine Bigfoot Logic merch can be found on our website, BigfootLogic.com. Until next time, remember, it's always a good idea to open your mind before you open your mouth.